What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I am James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at thepewterplank.com and make sure you're following along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks at the Pewter Plank. I am at Yarko underscore Bucks and David is at DH82 underscore Bucks. And holy moly, we have some we have something to talk about, David. We have some news and it is exciting. And I just have to know. Are you down with JPP? I am. I know that's that not is, the response I was supposed to give, but I that am. That is not the correct response. <laughs> you know, I was actually in the middle of a wooded area uh, working when I got the notification on my phone, and I had two of my peers standing with me and a couple guys who are working the same field as we do. And in the middle of our conversation, I just threw my hands up in the air and exclaimed, as they would say. It was very awkward for them, but I was excited. Yeah, I uh, I texted. I've, I've told the story about my Steelers loving sister. Well, I have a, another sister who's a Giants fan. And I texted her and said, thank you for JPP. And she responded with what in all caps with like seven question marks and 18 exclamation points and about 77 angry face emojis. And I responded with a Carlton dancing gif. So, yeah, that was that was how that conversation went. But, yeah, uh, Jason Light out of nowhere is able to get defensive end and USF alum Jason Pierre-Paul. And all it costs is the Buccaneers third round pick. And then they swap fourths to move up six spots in the fourth round. So it's a it's a great trade for the Bucks. It it addresses a severe uh need on this team. And I think the the cost is is a little bit lower than what people would have thought strictly based on the contract that they are inheriting now because Jason Pierre-Paul is set to make 12.5 million this season and then 14.5 in 2019 and another 12.5 in 2020. Now, the Bucks have an out. They can they can release Jason Pierre-Paul after this season and incur no cap hit whatsoever, but 7.5 million of his 2019 salary is guaranteed on the 5th day of the new league year. So, this is a it's a a move for right now this season. But there's also the possibility that they can they can move some money around and be able to keep him in his current contract. They can try to restructure with him. Because remember, they can get out from Deshaun Jackson's contract after next season. Maybe we see enough of an emergence from Chris Godwin to say, you know what, we can move on from Deshaun. You know, we're not using him the way that he needs to be used in order to be, you know, the Deshaun Jackson that everybody knows. There's a lot of options here. And you know the the addition to JPP is incredible. It was not something that I don't that I think any of us expected. And yeah, just minding my business, doing my you know doing my day job, and looked down at my phone, and hey, we have Jason Pierre Paul. So, David, what's what's kind of your takeaway from this trade, and and how JPP is going to affect this this defense in 2018? Yeah, a lot of the same things. I mean, it's, it's a really smart move uh, by Jason Light, which no surprise because he's, he's been making smart moves all offseason uh, as far as I'm concerned. And this is just adding to the bunch because, like you said, it fills a, a big-time need for this year. 
However, it also leaves them with enough, with enough flexibility for next season and beyond that, you know, they can make some moves here and there if they need to, or if they, so if they feel so motivated or, you know, if, uh, like some fans are out there predicting that he's not going to be with the team next year, then the incoming general manager is going to have some flexibility to work with. So, you know, it, it's a smart move, and it's not something that's going to break the team moving forward uh, either way. So if if Pierre Paul is on the team, I don't mean to get too, too far ahead of the conversation, but if Pierre Paul is on the team in 2019, then you can pretty much bet that he had a pretty solid 2018, uh, which is going to make all the fans and, and the team happy, of course. Uh, if he's not on the team, then, you know, no harm, no foul. Uh, they did give up a third-round pick, like you said. But moving up into the fourth round, I mean, that's an underrated move right there. And uh, I actually looked it up, and last year, pick 102 was actually in the third round. So, you know, give, give or take a few uh, compensatory picks here and there. You know, that that's a fourth-round pick or a third-round pick. But either way, it's right around the 100 mark, which is where you want to be as far as having draft picks. So, to, to get a player who consistently produces and moving out, you know, giving up a pick just to move right outside the 100 mark is not a bad exchange at all. But, uh, you know, I also kind of see, for, by and large, I think Bucks fans were happy with the move, right? But there there is a, a small section of, of the fan group or the fan base that just that didn't really like it. I think most of it was sacrificing a third-round pick because there is talent to be found in the third round, of course. But uh, I listened to... John Ledyard on uh, Locked On NFL Draft. He put up a very quick response episode once the trade happened. Unfortunately, Trevor wasn't able to join him. And in there, he kind of mentioned, uh, if you guys haven't listened to it yet, definitely go check it out. Check it out in general, but he gave some very good insight into Jason Pierre-Paul. I'm not going to steal all of his thunder. I'm just going to encourage you to go listen to what he said because it's very smart. And he kind of broke down why the Giants might have been willing to move on from him because a lot of people assume it's just a scheme thing where the the Giants are kind of changing their scheme, but John kind of presents some arguments that it's not so much scheme as much as it is production, and that's kind of a weird thing to say when you're talking about a guy who, uh, you know, outshined every Buccaneers defender as far as sacks are concerned. Uh, but interesting stuff, so I definitely recommend you go listen to it. But I'm still – I mean, even with John's arguments, I'm still happy with the move, and, and I still I still like it, and I applaud it, so. Yeah, it was, like I said, it was after I got over that initial shock of like, what in the world did Jason Light just pull off? You know, I'm I'm pumped. You know, you have a, a completely revamped defensive line now, minus Gerald McCoy. And, you know, there's that weapon that we've been we've been begging for to line up next to to McCoy on the defensive line, you know, the, the proven weapon. Then you have the additions of Bo Allen and Vinnie Curry. You still have Noah Spence coming back who can now go in in that rotational role, um, you know, on those, on those passing downs and he can continue to develop because, you know, we, we hear draft analysts talk about it and, and NFL analysts talk about it. Defensive end is an incredibly difficult position to transition from college to the NFL. And it usually takes a few seasons to really get going. You know, Spence is now going to be entering his third season. He's been injured in each of the first two. He's going to be able to fill the role that they really need him to fill. And that is just get in there, pin your ears back and get to the, get to the quarterback. He has a lot of developmental things he still needs to work on. He needs to work on being able to get some separation from the tackle and, and actually get after the quarterback. He only has one move. You know, that's something that 
JPP is going to be able to coach him up on, you know, hopefully the addition of Brenton Buckner, they can help Spence get over that hump. But it also, David, the, the next thing I want to get into here, it changes the outlook of the draft in a big, big way. Because now you have the New York Giants who may be legitimately in play for Bradley Chubb at number two. Now, I don't know the Giants in and out well enough to know. They're talking about changing the scheme. Would Bradley Chubb fit their new scheme? Is that a player that they would pursue? Are they going to go ahead and take the quarterback? Because when are they going to be drafting the top five again to be able to get you know Eli's replacement when, when Eli is ready to retire? And if, if Chubb goes at two, well, now you're looking at the possibility of Saquon Barkley going at four, or it could be Quentin Nelson. So now what are the Colts going to do? You know, I, I think the Colts are a lock to take Quentin Nelson at, at six if Chubb is already gone. So what does that leave the Buccaneers? You have Derwin James, you have Denzel Ward, you have Minka Fitzpatrick, you have Vita Vea, you have, you know, Hopefully a trade down scenario. I do not, and I I know this is going to be a hot take, and people are going to shake their heads and yell at the at the radio. I do not want anything to do with Saquon Barkley at number seven. I don't. If the ideal situation is somehow Nelson or Chubb, I would still take Chubb happily. The ideal situation doesn't change for the Bucks. It's still Chubb or Nelson at seven, in my opinion. Yeah, and and we had this mini argument uh on the last episode right right uh i i swore up and down there's no way chubb is gonna get to number seven um and this honestly to me just solidifies that uh i you know i don't know how this this whole thing went down obviously maybe someone uh high speed like jenna lane is gonna break that to us here in the coming days but i almost kind of envision because remember the giants general manager is dave gettleman right former general manager of carolina panthers so he's 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 familiar with the Bucs. He's familiar with Jason Light. He is familiar with what the Buccaneers have and need. Um, I'm sure all the GMs are, but Dave Gettleman has a little bit of a closer view with the Buccaneers specifically than some other general managers outside of the NFC South. But I almost kind of imagine that when this went down, like Dave Gettleman called Jason Light and was like, hey, man, we're taking Bradley Chubb. You're not getting a pass rusher in the top of the draft. We'll give you a JPP. Make me an offer. You know what I mean? And basically these two guys worked it out to where the Bucks aren't getting the guy they wanted as a pass rusher, but they're getting a pass rusher who should still be able to produce at least in key moments or, or uh, in specific situations. The Giants, as much as I don't like the Browns taking quarterback, right? I sent a tweet out the other day. It did fairly well. Um, <laughs> some of you out there probably saw it and liked it and a few retweeted it, whatever. But it seems like every single year, I hear, and, and I know last year is an anomaly because Miles Garrett was the number one guy from like beginning of the college season, right? But it seems like every year the Browns are near the top of the draft, and I hear nothing about how the Browns need to take a quarterback at the top of the draft. Like you have to take a quarterback at the top of the draft to the Cleveland Browns. And then every year we hear about how the quarterback they took near or at the top of the draft two to three years ago was a total bust and a waste of a draft. So this constant cycle of the Browns need to take a quarterback. I don't think it's that the Browns ruin quarterbacks as much as it is the Browns reach for quarterbacks year after year. Right. So I hate the fact that the Browns might take a quarterback because I, I know it's a reality that they, they likely will. 
I hate it even more that the Giants might take a quarterback because you have Eli Manning, and I know Eli Manning is not Tom Brady. He's not, you know, what we thought Andrew Luck was going to be. He's not Peyton even, uh, even though he got two rings faster. But he's a guy who has proven to this franchise that he's going to step up when they need him to. He, he's going to lead this team. He's a guy that, the, the like, none of his teammates are coming out, you know, saying anything bad about him. None of the guys who have left the team are like, oh, you guys don't know how bad of a leader Eli is. Like, this is the face of your franchise, and you need to you need to, to do him right, I think. I'm not saying they should take a quarterback, even like second or third round, somewhere day two, day three, but that first pick has got to be Bradley Chubb um, and not Quentin Nelson. And because of the same reasons I was kind of talking about with you uh, the other day, if you look at who's still going to be on the board in round two, right, you've got – uh, a core four out of Western Michigan. You got Braden Smith out of Auburn. You got uh, Mike McGlinchey out of Notre Dame, possibly. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, James Daniels out of Iowa is a guy. Billy Price. You know what I mean? With his injury, he's gonna he's gonna slip into day two. And if if there's thought that he could be healthy enough to to join the season, you know, then then possibly he's a guy they could bring in. These are all very talented offensive linemen. But you look at the second round as far as edge rushers are concerned. You know, uh, you got the kid out of Oklahoma who honestly to me like he's a linebacker not a down lineman and I think they need a down lineman uh, in New York more than they need linebacker help um you got what uh Sam Hubbard who you know there's been some questions about his his consistency you got the kid out of Rutgers there are some names out there but they're not they're not guys you can actually look at and say you know what I think you're one they could actually solidify a starting position but there are offensive linemen available in the second round where you can look at them and say I can see the possibility of them solidifying into a starting offensive lineman. So for the Giants, you go Bradley Chubb in the first round, offensive lineman in the second round. You're securing your your trenches. There's still going to be running backs available. Now you've got two picks near the top of the third round. So, I mean, third round, you're talking Rashad Penny. You know what I mean? You're talking about uh, just some carrying on Johnson. There's some other running backs you might be able to get. I mean, the Giants put themselves in a very good position. They just have to execute it properly. The problem with that, apparently, yeah. The problem with that, and it's something that we're going to discuss with uh, with a Giants representative here in in the uh, in the coming weeks. You you have to, if you are in a position to draft what you believe to be a future franchise quarterback, you have to take it because you you absolutely do. You absolutely do because at the end of the day. The odds of you finding that guy on day two and day three are a whole lot more slim than finding them in the top five. And there are, what, six, seven teams who are going to be vying for four of these quarterbacks. Now, if the Giants, so, if the Giants want to follow your model, <clears throat> skip on the quarterback and continue to build the trenches and build the defense and add a running back to help out Eli Manning, their best bet at this point would be to trade again. Trade out of that two spot. Trade back to five with the Broncos. You know, trade back with the Bills. And they can still address uh, the defense. Trade back with the Bills, no. Trade back with the Broncos, yes. Even even if you trade back with the Bills, are you going to get Bradley Chubb? No. There's no way he falls to 12, but you can, you can draft a Minka Fitzpatrick or 
potentially a Derwin James or a Denzel Ward. And then you're, yeah, you're dropping back. Guys. Those are all guys that like, they're, they have, I mean, there's no sure thing in the NFL draft, right? We all know that. But right. as far as who could, who, who are like your, your was like late night superlatives, right? Like most likely to be a sure thing. Bradley Chubb and Quentin Nelson are your two guys who are most likely to be a sure thing. So for the Giants, you trade back with John Elway. You're not going to fleece John Elway, but you're still going to get some picks. You're going to you're going to stockpile some picks. John Elway gets Josh Rosen because I think that's who he wants. Um, and you still get Bradley Chubb uh, at number five. So, but what if the, the Browns take still, him at four? Then you get Quentin Nelson, and you deal with uh, one of those other pass rushers that I mentioned in the second round, and you have other draft picks and, and so on and so forth, right? But either way, you're getting one of those top two guys that are, like I said, most likely to be a sure thing. Um, so trading back with the Broncos, I would think, you know, solid idea if I'm a Giants fan. Trading back with the Bills, not so much. Because you're going to get draft picks, but you're, what you're sacrificing as far as talent level expectations in the first year and beyond and, and all that is not worth – not unless, like, they're going to do something stupid and give up, like, Tredavious White and both first-round draft picks. Like, that's not going to happen. So – you know what I mean? Um, but training back with the Broncos actually would be a very intriguing idea, I think, for Dave Gettleman. But training back with the Bills, you're just giving up too much in projected talent at the top end of the draft for the draft picks you're going to stockpile. But at the same time, the Giants are on the cusp of a full-blown rebuild. The more picks you have, yeah, you may not get a an elite player, but you can guarantee you're getting both of the Bills' first-round picks you're probably getting their second round peg. I don't know if they have any or if they already traded them all away, but you're you're going to be stockpiling more picks. You may not get an elite player, but you could get two or three very good players. And I think when you're when you're this close to having a full-blown rebuild, your franchise quarterback is on the way out. You either take that future quarterback at number 2, or you stockpile as many picks as humanly possible to get as many bodies in camp and on this roster that you think can benefit them long-term. I, I, I feel the same way about the Colts. The Colts have so many holes and so many question marks that, yeah, they could get an elite player in Quentin Nelson at number six, but they need to, Chris Ballard needs to continue to stockpile as many picks as humanly possible. I can't remember the name of the GM that that just left the Colts. Do you do you remember it offhand? No. Okay. Anyway, that guy he went on to the Browns and then got fired by the Browns because he was just so terrible. Somebody had posted on Twitter. I want to say it was Stephen Holder, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Of every draft that they had under whoever that GM was, there are two players left. Two. And he did like five drafts. His first draft was Andrew Luck. And they have two players left. The Colts are in full-blown rebuild. And yes, that elite player can help you down the line for sure. But the more picks that you stockpile, the better chances you are of hitting on three, four, five different players being Pro Bowl caliber, and then you still are able to continue to build depth later on. 
So I I understand what you're saying. I'm not I'm not saying that you're wrong by any means. I the first thought that came to my mind was the Giants just traded JPP. They're taking Chubb. I called my Colts loving boss and said, "Look, you just lost out on on Bradley Chubb. You guys are going to end up with Quentin Nelson." And he was excited for for us to get Jason Pierre-Paul, and you know he's he would be happy with Quentin Nelson or Bradley Chubb, or there's a <clears throat> there's a linebacker that's been linked to them that fits what they want to do that that could potentially go. I don't think they would go at six. That's more of a trade back kind of option, but. When you're looking at it as a whole, to me, the better bet for some of these teams, New York, Indianapolis, if New York isn't going to take their quarterback in the future, they need to trade out of that spot and they need to stockpile as many picks as humanly possible because, I mean, it's like playing the lottery. You're going to have a whole heck of a lot better chance of winning the more tickets that you have. Um. I, too, see where you're coming from. I don't think the Giants are in a rebuild mode. Um, not however, yet, I but think I think the they're Giants, close. They, they are close. And the key to not getting into full-blown uh, rebuild mode is to do what the Colts have failed to do for, like, the last, I don't know, three years, and that is draft guys who are going to come in and make big-time impacts to your team and keep you out of rebuild mode. Because not for nothing, but last year, right, Nobody was saying pass on quarterback, pass on quarterbacks. Like all you teams that need quarterbacks, pass on quarterback and wait for Sam Darnold. Wait for Josh Allen. Wait for Josh Rosen. Nobody was saying that, right? So if these kids are French, like locked down franchise quarterbacks, then I imagine someone in 2017 would have been like, that dude looks like a legit franchise quarterback. Put some pieces in place this year and go get him next year. And nobody was saying that. Just like nobody right now is saying, you know what? Pass on Josh Rosen. Wait for Drew Locke out of Missouri. Right? Wait for Jacob Easton out of Washington. Wait for DeAndre Francois out of Florida State. Nobody's saying that right now. But this time next year, we could be looking at, I don't know, let's say you're right. Let's say, like, Eli Manning bombs the Giants, you know, like, they draft Bradley Chubb, and he, like, holds out because he doesn't want to be a Giant. He wants to be a Charger and doesn't want to play and da 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 and they had the number one pick, and they're like, yo, the Giants have to take DeAndre Francois because you don't pass up on a franchise quarterback like that. Like, not for nothing, but we hear this almost every year. Like, the only year I can really think of we didn't have a surefire, quote-unquote, franchise quarterback in recent memory, which I could be wrong, is 2013. And even in 2013, the Bills had to take E.J. Emanuel because they need a quarterback. Well, that didn't work out too well, right? So I don't think there's any such any situation where a team has to take a quarterback just because they struggled. And I think that's where general managers and teams get in trouble because you spend what could have been a perfectly good pick on someone else. And I'm not saying Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, or EJ Manuel. Don't, don't make that connection, anybody who's listening. But I'm just saying that the Giants are not as bad as their record says they are. We talked about this before with, like, uh, who, I can't remember. I think it was Bailey, right, wrote, are the Buccaneers really as bad as their record said they were last year? Right. The Giants fell victim first to injuries, right? Brandon Marshall and Odell Beckham Jr. both went down with injuries. I mean, I don't, I can't think of a single team that can lose their number one and number two receiving threat and still be as successful as they were supposed to. Like, even the New England Patriots. Like, 
is the New England Patriots, and we, was it week four, right, that they both went down, I think? Uh, Something like I don't that. It was early enough in the season. doesn't really matter. But early in the season, <clears throat> first half of the season at minimum, the New England Patriots lose Edelman and Gronk for the entire season. They're not in the Super Bowl. They're just not. And that, that goes across the board. If you look at every single team in the, NFL, in the National Football League, if they lose their top two receiving threats, it's game over. You know what I mean? It's game over for all of them. This is a passing league. You can't survive that type of that type of situation. And then you compound that with horrible coaching. Like, and not just coaching with the X and O standpoints, horrible leadership. Like McAdoo lost that locker room long before he started losing the X's and O's battle. Like oh, that, the Giants. Worst. Yeah. The Giants were just they were derailed from the start. They didn't even know what McAdoo. And then the injuries just made things worse. Getting Odell Beckham back. Did they keep Marshall? I can't remember. I don't know where Brandon Marshall is. No, Marshall's now. a free agent, I believe. Okay. But they got Shepard coming back, right? Uh, they don't have Njoku. Who's the, who's the tight end they had? Uh, it's escaping me now. But he showed some uh, promise. I like Wayne Gallman as a running back. I don't think he's the number one guy or a three-down back by any means. But if they can get uh, like like Jones out of USC to, to compliment him you know, on, on day two or something like that, then I think they've got a decent running back group. Their trenches is where they're hurting on the offensive side, especially, uh, which, which, like you said, could lead to them taking Quentin, Quentin Nelson. But even if you, like I said, even if you trade back to five or if you stay at two, you got to address the trenches, I think, in, in the very first round for the Giants, no matter what. Uh, just they have to address the trenches because they just lost Jason Pierre Paul, which even if he's not a full time, what, what we know JPP to be, he's still impactful. Their offensive line is in shambles. Uh, so, I just that's, that's where I think the Giants are. The Colts are in full-blown rebuild mode, but I don't think they realize they're in rebuild mode. Like, even now. Oh, like, they for sure realize it. I don't know, man. Like, By the way, that GM's name was Kevin Grigson. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I remember. <laughs> or Ryan, yeah. Ryan Grigson. Ryan Grigson. Grigson. Yeah, I just remember Grigson. Um, <clears throat> Pat McAfee hates if him. I'm the Colts, if I'm the Colts, I'm doing what you just said. Like, I need top talent. I got that. But, like, I'm trading out. Like, the, the best thing that could happen to the Colts right now at number six is that four quarterbacks don't actually go and picks one through five. Like, let Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield or both of them be available at pick five. And you can either get Miami to jump up. You can get Buffalo to jump up. Arizona. Uh, there, there are a few teams. Yeah, Arizona might jump up. There are a few teams. And, yeah, your strategy, like, you know, stockpiling picks, that's perfect for the Colts. The Colts need to do that 11 times out of 10. But the Giants, I would be, like I said, I would be okay with the trading back with Denver at number five because you're still going to get one of those top two guys in the trenches. But I don't think they're in the, the, the state as a team that a lot of people might think they are where they just need to get as many picks as they can to get as many bites as, uh, as the apple, uh, as Mike Mayock would say. I just don't. That's, I, that's where I don't. I just don't see them that way. So that's just my take. Well, and and we'll definitely get into that more uh, here in in the next couple episodes of the Locked On Bucks podcast. That we need to get to. Uh, You know, I looked at it, and we pretty much kind of covered it. Uh, Yeah, X Man at eight eight X Man said, "With JPP in tow, what's the draft plan now? Uh, Is trading back and accumulating picks the best option? I personally wouldn't mind trading back and then selecting guys." Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we kind of covered it in the fact that, you know, the, this trade affected 
everything that's going to happen before the Bucks. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, you're looking at hopefully you get Chubb or Nelson to drop to you. If not, I would be a big proponent of trading back potentially with the Bills. And then you can draft a a Derwin James or a Denzel Ward or a Mika Fitzpatrick at 12, potentially, maybe a Vita Vea. And then at, what is it, 21 or 22, you know, that's when you can you can get Darius guys, you know, that would, that would be another great situation for the bucks. And I think they're, they're in prime position to be able to trade back. Um, if there's a player that a team wants to trade up for, cause again, you know, people are going to pay the high prices to trade up for a quarterback, but if four quarterbacks go before the bucks are on the clock, then they're kind of, they're kind of no man's land and they're going to have to take somebody. Yeah. So, but yeah, coming up here in the next couple of weeks, um, we are going to be featuring a representative from each of the six teams ahead of the Bucks in the draft order. We're going to get their thoughts on what their team is going to do, and we're going to kind of do a progressive mock draft. So that's going to be a lot of fun to um, to talk to people from the Locked On Network that cover these teams, or or maybe we'll we'll speak with some people that that run some sites for these teams and get some perspectives um, from the Browns, the Colts, the Jets, the Colts, and the Broncos. Um, and coming up at peterplank.com starting Monday, we are going to be featuring one prospect a day all the way up until the NFL draft. We did our 40 teams in 40 days. We did a free agency spotlight leading all the way up to free agency. Now it's draft time. We're in full-blown draft mode. We're going to feature one player um, different rounds, you know, is, is kind of how we broke it up or different days of the draft and some players to keep an eye on that could, should, and would be in play for the Bucks. But until then, make sure that you're following everything else that we're doing over at thepewterplank.com and you're following along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at thepewterplank, at jarco underscore bucks, and at dh82 underscore bucks. Hope you all have a wonderful, safe, and enjoyable weekend. And thank you so much for joining us right here at LockedOnBucks. Check this out. A house is not a home. I hate this song.